0: And welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny Lavery. And with me in the studio this week is Caitlin Bartley, a higher education professional working in residence life in the greater Boston area, and Nicole Fusco, an epidemiologist who was lucky enough to get a sister-in-law who talked their way into being guests on her favorite podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank Thank you so you so much. I mean, I'm so, so pleased to have you both here. To be clear, talking your way onto the show usually just entails sending me a message either via email (laughs) or Instagram or somewhere saying, I like the show. I'd like to be on it sometime. And I say, great. We're always looking for guests, which is not in any way to diminish my excitement and joy at you two specifically being here. I just really want to make it clear. It's not hard to be on the show if you want to be. Fairly straightforward. I loved it. I'm so pleased to have you both here. I don't think I've ever had sisters-in-law giving joint advice before so this is like a brand new group dynamic
1: well i'm really excited to be a part of a brand new group dynamic <laughs> do you too
0: i mean i imagine you two get along pretty well since you asked to come on the show as a group if you two ever either uh, advised one another or given advice together do you feel like you're going to have roughly similar outlooks or are you kind of anticipating some productive difference
2: nicole's given me plenty of advice in the past is uh, an older sister-in-law to me, so she's given me plenty of advice. I think that we'll have fairly similar advice, but I hope that it's a little bit different to provide some different
1: perspectives. Yeah, I think that for the most part, our values are really similar. Um, mm-hmm. We just have a slightly different perspective.
0: That's all that I need for that productive tension. Um, <laughs> I'm going to regrettably read our first letter. I say regrettably because I thought that the the subject line needed punching up, and the question, I think, has something to do with, like, basically psychoanalysis. So I thought, oh, I'll do a fun little Freud mention. And I put the, the subject title as uh, de the And then I was like, why didn't I? It's, it's the interpretation of dreams. I don't speak German. I don't think I'm saying that right at all. The only word I feel confident about pronouncing here is D because of Sideshow Bob saying, no, this is German for the Bart the." So you know what? Actually, the subject of our first letter is the interpretation of dreams. That's what it is, not the other thing. (laughs) I'm going to read it now. Recently, I've started having sex dreams about my boss. I'm a 30-year-old bisexual woman happily married to the lesbian of my dreams. She's my best friend. I'm deeply in love with her, and our marriage is strong. I emphatically do not want to sleep with my boss. But ever since the sex dream started, I've begun daydreaming about him as well. Now when I see him at meetings, I feel myself blush. When he walks by my desk, my heart speeds up. It feels like I have a tiny crush on him. He's always professional with me. I know my feelings aren't reciprocated. There's no flirting. But it still feels like I'm mentally cheating on my wife, and I want to cut this off before it gets worse. I know that dreams are dreams, and that doesn't make it true. I know that fantasies aren't the same thing as desires. Thinking sexual thoughts about men doesn't make me less queer. But logically knowing that doesn't change my feelings. I feel so guilty for getting turned on. I wish I had never had these dreams. And even more, I wish I'd never started thinking about them when I'm awake. It's so inappropriate, and I need to make it stop. Do you have any advice on how to unthink these thoughts? And if you're feeling extra powerful, any advice on how to change my dreams? And I, I really just wanted to start by saying I'm very like excited for this letter writer. Not because I'm happy that she's feeling distressed, but I just really wanted to reassure her that not only is this so normal and understandable, this is basically how psychoanalysis was invented. Was like, I have a problem with my dreams. I don't know how to reconcile them with reality. They cause me distress. I'm experiencing neuroses. Um, so, like, this is—you are in great company here. You are not alone. This isn't some weird thing that just you has have invented. And and even luckier for you. One of my partners has a background in uh, psychoanalytic theory, so uh, I was able to occasionally text her and say, hey, what's going on with dreams? Are they good or bad? So I I will be bringing a little bit more expertise to the table than I usually do. So that's my sort of like pre-advice announcement about my excitement. What were you two thinking as you read this?
1: I feel like this letter writer is being so much harder on themselves than they need to be. They've upgraded this to I'm mentally cheating on my wife. Mm -hmm. And and I just, you know, I you haven't done anything wrong, letter writer. You haven't actively encouraged flirtation. You haven't sought out one-on-one time with your boss. Like, give yourself a break here.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate too the sort of call out of the like Jimmy Carter line of like I've I've committed adultery in my heart. Again, I don't want to tell anyone how they have to think about their marriage, but I'd be kind of surprised if this letter writer's wife had said anything like, by the way, now that we're together or once we've gotten married, if you ever experience like a blush or your heart beats a little faster because you had a sex dream about someone, to me that's like an affair, that's awful. I'd be dev- like I just I I don't think your wife would want you to feel this bad about what you're experiencing, if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely does. And I think this could be really interesting um, in terms of like talking with their wife, talking with her wife about what's happening for her. Um, and maybe this opens up a new way of communication with her wife about um, what kinds of things that she's feeling for this person. And if it's something that they don't want, it can still be something maybe they incorporate into their, uh, into their relationship, into their relationship, to the life in the bedroom, in terms of just them two. I think that's something that
1: they could engage in that conversation. And I hope that their wife would be open to.
0: What do you think? Same thing, talk to the wife?
1: I think so. I, I think that talking to the wife, unless the wife has in the past expressed particular concern about the boss, in that case, maybe, you know, talk to a trusted friend or a therapist first just to find a way to bring that kind of thing up sensitively. But I agree. I don't think that there's anything for the letter writer to be ashamed of here. I think it's, you know, crushes are are a totally normal part of life, even married life. And even in sort of undesired crush, you know, that kind of thing happens. And I would be surprised if your wife has never experienced a crush of her own.
0: Yeah, and I realize there's a sort of tension here because to the letter writer at least, it feels like there's a really important distinction between presumably she's had crushes in the past and, and the, the distinction that she feels here is I didn't feel like I one day consciously noticed something about my boss that led me to develop a crush on him. I felt like the dream caused this. I feel like the dream brought this external reaction that I can't control or help and it, it feels like it's getting bigger, but not in a way that I at least feel like I can take ownership of or responsibility for. And again, I don't think this is something that the letter writer needs to be taking responsibility for in the sense of, wow, you're playing with fire here. You're really like getting close to cheating on your wife. You seem like you really want to. So I, I think it might be helpful. I want to refer to my conversation with Grace and Lily, which was really, really fun uh cuz Grace's first response was well the good news is you probably don't want to sleep with your boss but the bad news is you probably do want to hurt your wife and for for whatever it's worth Lily's advice was I think you should sleep with your boss and leave your wife um which I don't think you should do <laughs> and I think she was being a little bit lighthearted um but I thought that that was really interesting you know uh, Grace had also talked about how it seemed noticeable to her that the the dream is not so much creating and nurturing a form of pleasure so much as it is creating and nurturing a particular form of guilt. Like, what this dream is bringing into your life is guilt about proximity to this guy, guilt about feeling helpless in the face of a physical reaction to someone else, and guilt about your own relationship to the idea of being less queer. So again, none of this means you have to take this and say this is what my dream means, I just think it's sort of interesting, and I was glad that Grace brought that up, was this sounds frankly less like a lot of fun sex dreams and more like an upsetting series of guilt dreams. And so obviously, I I think it might be worthwhile to talk through, not necessarily with your wife. And the only reason I bring that possibility up is because I kind of worry the letter writer might feel like I need to go confess this to my wife as something I've done wrong, and that's really big and bad and awful, and that that might give her wife, I think, like a mistaken impression that this is more than it really is. So I would actually probably encourage this letter writer to talk about it first, either with a therapist or just like a friend with good boundaries who understands the difference between like this kind of upsetting, recurring dream I'm having versus I'm like this close to having sex with my boss and I want you to keep it a secret from my wife and then maybe you could talk about it with her a little bit further down the road but not necessarily when you're in the middle of it again that's only if you worry that you would feel really upset or distressed it might help to talk it through with someone else first and then you can talk about it with her later if you want but you you also don't have to this is it, it sounds unpleasant and distressing but you're not you're not doing bad things this isn't bad or weird or something that makes you different from other people i've certainly had sex dreams about people in my life before that felt like it had legs, like it didn't just immediately vanish. And I didn't feel like, oh, I have this new conscious, ongoing, permanent attraction to that person now, so much as like there's a weird tension or frisson here now, and I don't really know what to do with it.
2: I agree completely. I also think journaling could be a great place to start if you don't have somebody that you can talk to. I also think uh, proper sleep hygiene is something that's really Mm. important. So either kind of sleep meditations before bed, making sure you're going to bed at consistent times, things like that can also help curb those kinds of dreams that are related to the guilt and or related to anything. Those can really help kind of bring down the level of dreaming that you're having. Um, I interpret my own dreams and I have a dream journal. And that's something that I found has helped me keep my dreams down when I'm having periods of stress.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a really lovely idea. And I think journaling, especially about dreams, is often really useful and productive because it's just asking, you know, what does my conscious mind think about my unconscious mind. And there's a lot of different interesting areas you can go with that. And again, it's not about solving the riddle so that the feelings totally go away. It's about understanding yourself better and shaping the story that you tell yourself. Uh, I will wrap up because I don't want to just like read texts from my wife to advise people, but I really (laughs) did uh, appreciate, you know, she had mentioned Freud says the quickest way to figure out what a dream is about is to ask the patient what it is definitely not about so that might be a potential question for you to like journal about, like, what do I believe this dream isn't about? You can kind of go down the list of what you think isn't there and kind of take a look at that and see what jumps out at you. But, but then she also said, if this were somebody I was talking to, I would probably ask some follow-up questions about any pressure, whether like implicit or explicit, that she has felt to conform to her wife's understanding of herself, kind of in the hopes of activating some of the more negative latent content in the dream. And then she said, although as we all remember, I dropped out of psychoanalysis school, which is true. She's not a psychoanalyst. And I think that might be really useful. Again, here it seems like the the big question of the dream is, what if I hurt my wife without wanting to? What if I betrayed my wife without wishing to do so? What if I had an involuntary reaction to a man in a position of power that by definition hurt my wife, even though I didn't choose to? And to me, that suggests the possibility that there's some unspoken fear here. Again, not that your wife has been saying, I want you to feel bad about being bisexual, but I just noticed that was one of the first things you said about yourself in this letter was, I'm bisexual, I'm with the lesbian of my dreams. And Like literally the lesbian of my dreams, even though right now the figure in your dreams is your boss, not your wife, not a lesbian. And again, none of this means you secretly don't like your wife, but it is, I think really human to at least sometimes imagine or express unconscious forms of resentment about fantasies of hurting or betraying someone. That's not the same thing as saying you don't really care about someone or you want to do that. It's just as human as thinking about opening that you know door on airplanes with the big red lever uh, when you're waiting in line for the bathroom. You know the what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Every yeah. time. You're not going to do it, but you think about it. But yeah, I, I think it's just Again, without judgment and without like self recrimination, to just sort of ask some questions about why might I be thinking right now a lot about this fear I seem to have of hurting my wife without wanting to? And what can I, uh, you know, what can I do with that? Um, Again, none of this means you got to solve it tomorrow. All that's happened is you've experienced some like low grade physical reactions to this guy's presence. You're not saying, I'm worried, I'm going to say something wild or I'm going to do something inappropriate. It might feel uncomfortable, but you can just let yourself notice those feelings in the moment and say like, my heartbeat will eventually come back to normal. This blush probably feels more um, apparent than it looks. I don't know about you two, but I don't think I've ever seen someone like conspicuously blush more than four or five times in my whole life. No,
1: I don't even blush and I have, my skin is practically translucent. I'm so pale. So yeah, I feel like it's probably not as obvious to everybody else.
0: Yeah. So I hope this feels reassuring rather than like, don't worry, you're supposed to hate anyone you're intimate with and dream about ways to hurt them. I really don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, obviously, if every night the second you fell asleep, you dreamed about like itchy and scratchy style murdering your partner, that would be very distressing for all of us. But it's very, very human to have like weird impulses or momentary thoughts or anxiety dreams. I've had anxiety dreams about people I loved and valued before. And it's sometimes taken a little while to shake it off or to kind of work through what I feel like it means. But none of this is like foreshadowing or a portent or going to force you to do something against your will. And, um, you know, I hope you can take this as an opportunity for curiosity and, and non-judgment. I think that's my last thought on the matter. Do, do either of you have any final words or suggestions for this letter writer?
1: I did just want to, um, one of the last questions, any advice on how to unthink these thoughts? I don't know that you can unthink them, but it's possible that all of the guilt that you're feeling and the ruminating that you're doing during the day is making them more of a problem at night. So it's the like, well, don't think about a red balloon and then all you can think about is the red balloon. Maybe take a step back and, and think about some other things that are happening in your life and see if you can sort of redirect some of that energy.
0: Yeah. And I think if if the letter writer, I do want to now open up the possibility of talking to her wife about it, because I think one of the things that would be really helpful is you could say to your wife, I actually had a kind of upsetting dream a few days ago and I've been feeling distressed. I think that would be true and an accurate way of describing what you're going through. And it might also make you make it easier to connect with your wife over it than if you framed it as like bad news. I cheated on you in a dream. And now the lingering after effects of my like unconscious infidelity is staining my waking life like it was a sort of um, nightmare on Elm Street but for cheating and and I think if you were to share the fact that it's distressing you and making you feel like unhappy then you could I think it would be easier for her to maybe like offer you some reassurance or some help in that moment rather than like bad news I like hurt your feelings in a dream because I, I think that's closer to the truth for you so if you do decide to talk to her about it that would be my suggestion for how to open Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. This is maybe a good time to sort of pause and take stock and uh, strongly encourage you, if you can do so, without using any identifying details, maybe telling us some of the wildest conflicts you've ever had to um, negotiate in your time at Residence Life.
2: Definitely I can. I think my most wild, and I love sharing this with my resident advisors, my RAs, um, because it's such a great, like, it feels low stakes, but it's not. Um, I had, this was actually when I was an undergrad, so I was a peer mentor, and I was supporting students in a peer capacity. I actually had a student come to me while I was working office hours, just absolutely sobbing. It took maybe about 10, 15 minutes just to get her calmed down enough to be able to tell me what was wrong. And she told me, and this was in about November. So we're pretty solidly into the semester at this point that started in late August, early September. And she just tells me my roommate's been using my toothbrush. Oh, every day. Oh, no oh no. And she's sobbing. She like goes right back to sobbing. And I was like, what do I do? So like, first thing I did was we actually walked to CVS and I bought her a new toothbrush. I bought her some new toothpaste. I bought her floss, mouthwash. We literally just like cleaned house of CVS. We were like, we're just going to buy everything. And I just let her go and brush her teeth for a solid 15, 20 minutes. She came back. She felt a lot better when she came back. And we were okay. able to like start having a conversation. I was asking her like, what do you need from me? How can I support you? Um, do you want to talk to her? Do you want to have a mediation? Do you want me to start that conversation? Um, and she was like, I can't look her in the <laughs> eye. I just can't do it. Like, I can't. So she asked me to engage in a conversation with her roommate to kind of start a mediation process. Um, and we usually start mediations with information gathering. So we meet with everybody individually to for mediations in general. So this wasn't out of the norm for us. So I met with the other student and I was kind of talking to her about it. And she was like, yeah, I was just really like, and I asked her about the toothbrush. and He goes, yeah, isn't it so great?
0: I was like, what are you talking about? we're close about? enough to share a toothbrush without ever discussing it?
2: And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, well, I was just, you know, I got here and I realized that she brought the toothbrush and I was just really grateful that she already took care of that for us. And I was like, wait Bro. a minute, back up, Bro. back up.
0: Are you promising me that this is not an urban legend? This is an actual conversation you had. It didn't a, a friend This is a real conversation.
2: This is a real conversation, unfortunately. So uh, we're diving deeper. We're talking more. And I was like, why did you assume that when she brought her toothbrush that it was the toothbrush for both of you?
0: And she had shared that growing up, her family only had one toothbrush. Do you think this was like an elaborate prank they were playing on you together? I don't know why I can't just Absolutely accept that like... Not. Life is weird. But I'm just absolutely like, not. There's gotta be. Maybe there was a gremlin that brought a replacement toothbrush every day.
2: <laughs> right? Like I absolutely wish that was the case. Uh, but we ended up like breaking down that uh, she just that was she was raised and only had one toothbrush in the family. They that she she thought everyone did it that way. What did she think
0: when she saw movies? Sorry, I keep interrupting you. But like in movies, they sometimes yeah. show couples who are like thinking about divorcing, sadly brushing their teeth next to each other using separate toothbrushes? Did she think that was like a funny, funny joke?
2: I think so. I like, I never got that deep into conversations with her, but I really hope that she thought it was some joke
0: because (laughs) I just- No wonder they're going to break up. They don't even share a toothbrush. I share a toothbrush with my roommate. Of course they're breaking up.
2: Of course they're divorcing. Like they don't. But um, so she felt so guilty after. She felt so bad. She kept apologizing. She started crying. She started sobbing because she was like, oh my God. She was like, I've been wrong this whole time. She was like, and I have been violating my roommate's privacy since <laughs>
0: August. <laughs> and
2: then she says, Caitlin, I can't look her in the eye. Like, so they, I can't neither of them this. can look at each
0: other in the eye now.
2: <laughs> neither of them can look at each other. I'm sitting here like, how did this happen to me? How am I the one that's uh, that's handling this? And eventually I got them into the same room and like, I was like, okay, roommate B, share, share what you share with me. Let's go. And like, she shared and roommate A was like, you've got to be kidding me. She's like, this is a joke. It has to be a prank. Like she literally thought it was a prank and roommate, like the roommate who um, had been using her toothbrush was like, I wish it was too. And I am very sorry. Um, the next day roommate B came and requested a room change. Uh, the one who was using the toothbrush, she came and requested a room change and said, like, we're both uncomfortable. She shouldn't have to move because I violated her privacy. I should be the one to move. Oh, my God. Um, and we uh, got her moved to another room um, in a different hall, which is great. Yeah. Got her, them far away from each other and uh, was able to, she met with me a couple, like, months later to kind of be like, I had some really weird conversations with my new roommate about what things can I can't we use and she was like I just don't use anything without explicit permission now and I said that's a great rule of thumb I love that for you I just I think about it every year because I use it in my trainings with my resident advisors because like
0: you don't want it to happen such... twice it's unlikely no. but it's one of those things <laughs> no. like if I could prevent this from happening a second time I'm going to do it
2: yeah absolutely and it's a really good um it's a really good story when I'm training my staff about like you never know what's going to come your way you never know what reasoning someone has for doing something until you get into the conversation and you still got to manage it. and You still got to make it work. So it was just wild
0: times. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was truly beautiful. I, I can't thank you enough, frankly. Uh, and so glad I could share with I, I, more people. I guess my only question is, Nicole, how are you going to top that?
1: I. It is absolutely not possible. <laughs> um, I think that's such a great example of both the intensity that so many people have during college and that experience of looking around and realizing you're telling a story and everyone is looking at you, like, how could you possibly say that? And you think it's totally normal. But I just, I have to imagine that the the student who is using the toothbrush is now looking back over her entire childhood being like, what else am I going to discover is just totally out of whack with how everybody else sees it absolutely she started doing research into all sorts of things she like
2: looked into like do people share hairbrushes do people share like all of these different pieces and i just i felt so bad she, they were both going through it in different ways and i just like
0: it was just a wild time i mean it makes sense like college is very much the time when unless you've had a slightly more uh, unusual growing up experiences for a lot of people it's the first time you live with other people who aren't your relatives and so there's a lot of, is this not normal? On on like every facet of like sharing a living space. Plus, you know, some people have been like looking after themselves, doing their own chores since they were in like sixth grade. And other people are like, what is laundry? And that can uh, lead to a lot of complications. So there but for the grace of God, go all of us. And um, I hope you just, yeah, just like hand out toothbrushes at random on campus when you're walking around.
2: <laughs> I keep them and I, that's one of the things that I keep in my office is a full like hygiene set now it's just yeah everything I could think of that somebody could need and like the best case scenario is someone runs out of toothpaste in the morning and I can provide that for them Brilliant. and the worst case scenario is someone comes and tells me that again and we don't have to walk all the way to CVS
0: perfect perfect I love this plan <laughs> Well, I think we're in a good, strong emotional position to answer our third letter, which is someone who needs like help with socialization. And I feel like we've got like a good foundation to start with, which is like everyone gets their own toothbrush and also how do you help the person who mistakenly used other people's toothbrushes so that they can continue on? So that's like a good founding principle. Um, Nicole, would you mind reading this letter?
1: Absolutely. Subject need my social sea legs. I am a queer person in my late 20s with a bad habit of isolating myself. That started before, but was certainly made worse by the pandemic. I finally started to go out and meet people again. I've gotten involved in some local organizing and have been attending reading groups, fundraisers, and actions. It's stressful to be around so many people so suddenly, but also very fulfilling. I've made a new friend I like a lot. They're a very cool trans-communist who's new to town. We've had a lot of great conversations and recently they said, I'm the only person in town they really trust. It was lighthearted and I was flattered, but also really terrified. I've been living a very straight life for a long time. When I came out as a lesbian five years ago, it was to mostly straight people. When I came out as trans three years ago, it was to exclusively straight people. And when I started HRT last year, it was without the guidance from trans people People aside from the written guidance I seek out online. Sometimes it feels like, because of those social failures, I should not seek out other queer and trans people lest I cause more pain. I know about a lot of the queer events and spaces around my city, but have not attended them. I try to be honest about my lack of experience, both in organizing and being in a queer community but I still get this feeling that my new friend assumes I'm more experienced and knowledgeable than I am. I don't want to lead them on, but I'm also very embarrassed by how much I've hidden from the local queer scenes. I take their trust seriously and I want to be worthy of it. Is there some way to communicate my isolation and inexperience without coming across as pathetic and antisocial? How do I stop feeling like
0: slash being a fraud? I really felt for this letter writer did, did you two have a strong sense of what they meant by cause more pain that line really struck that hit me I, I, I was really confused I mean the tenor of the letter is by mostly being friends with straight people I was doing something wrong, which I already feel bad that they were feeling but it, it genuinely made me worry that they think that coming out to mostly straight people was something they did that like hurt other gay and trans people and that just feels so out there I wanted to make sure that that was your reading too and I don't sorry I don't mean to say out there like wow this wacky letter writer I just like they're being way too hard on themselves and I just wanted to make sure there wasn't another reading that I was missing did you also think it was like I did something wrong by coming out to straight people I did
1: a combo of I did something wrong by coming out to straight people and I have harmed the queer community by not being more involved in it.
0: Yeah, which I really hope no one has said to you. But even if it's just you saying this to you, letter writer, I realize it's difficult to just say to someone, hey, feel better about yourself. But it, it sounds like part of what goes along with what you call this bad habit of isolating yourself is uh, maybe a corresponding habit of getting really angry with yourself for that isolation, blaming yourself for that isolation and attaching like harm to it as if by being isolated or depressed or sad, you are hurting other queer people by like failing to give them your company. And I just want to say that is so, so, so far removed from the truth that I'm a little bit worried. Again, not like, "Wow, wow, wow, you're really messed up. Just like, That's a really, really, really cruel thing to think of yourself. And I really, really want you to get some good, honest, realistic feedback, ideally from a mental health professional as well as some other people in your life that that is not the case and that knowing a lot of straight people or like not having yet made a lot of trans friends is not something bad or wrong that you did that you have to make up for now.
1: Absolutely. And I also want to say that your your friend, who has said that you're the only person in town they really trust. And I think that right there is some of that honest feedback. I don't think they would say that to you if you hadn't been a good, supportive friend to them. And that doesn't have to be shown by being involved in every queer reading group in your city. It it can be shown just in your friendship with that person. So so I think that you're already doing a good job of being the kind of person it sounds like you want to be.
0: Yeah. And you know, I would maybe be a little bit more concerned about that statement if it but it's the letter writer says it was lighthearted. Like if somebody like comes to you in dead of night and like whispers like, I trust no one in town except you, either you live <laughs> in a really messed up town or this person is doing some weird forced teaming. But it sounds like lighthearted kind, fun, and I just really want the letter writer to let themselves feel like this is allowed. It's good. It's it's nice. This person trusts me. I'm making a new friend, particularly a new trans friend, and that's good.
2: Absolutely. And I think it's really, when I was reading this letter, one of the things that I thought of was, wow, this is such a beautiful experience that you get to have with this person. like. If you want to be involved in more queer reading groups or you want to be more involved in queer events that are happening around your city and you're looking for someone to go with or a reason to go to them, it sounds like you have one. And it sounds like you have a really beautiful experience to get to experience these things with someone who trusts you and someone who you trust. And I think that that can be really amazing for you to get to do these things if you want to. I also think it would be okay if you didn't want to experience these things. But having someone that you can connect with in this way sounds like it could be really good for you.
0: Yeah, I, I, I really just want this letter writer, if nothing else, to just know these were not failures. This was not pain that you caused the community. Um, this was like loneliness and isolation that you suffered. And it's a really good thing that you are getting to spend more time with people generally and also with cool trans people specifically. I want more of that for you. You don't have to uh, apologize or atone for having been isolated in the past. That's not a knock against you. And hopefully no new queer or trans friend you make will ever suggest that that is the case.
2: Absolutely agreed. I think when I think about the question that this letter writer asked and how do I stop feeling like slash being a fraud, I think that's so difficult and it's such a struggle to really try to get there. And I really say to myself a lot, and I do this a lot professionally as well as personally, is really just, unfortunately, I fake it till I make it sometimes. And sometimes even just looking in the mirror and saying, I am not a fraud. Like it is okay that I am the person that I am right now. And I've had the experiences that I had. And I think that that can be a step, but I don't know. What do you both think? Did you have any advice for how to help this person stop feeling like they are being a fraud. I really wasn't sure how to support this person.
0: Yeah, because fraud just felt, again, so not the word here. And so I think maybe a more helpful way of describing it, letter writer, might be, I'm not sure how much I want to share with this new friend the loneliness and isolation I've been experiencing over the last few years, maybe in part because I don't want to put too much pressure on them as, as one friend to make up for lots and lots of others. That, I think, is an understandable Road to want to walk carefully. But the fact that you haven't had a lot of gay friends before, it doesn't subtract at all from your own outness. And again, I think it might even help to just remind yourself you say, like, I don't want to lead them on, but it's like, you did come out as a lesbian five years ago. You did come out as trans three years ago. You did start HRT. Those are all real experiences you have had just because they happened in a mostly straight context. The other people who heard you do it happened to be straight doesn't mean you didn't do them and and doesn't mean they were made up. So that's, re- I mean, again, I think you don't have to think of this sort of thing in terms of experience, but if you want to, you have some, so you can counter that sort of like self-recriminating thought with reality, which is like, I actually have been out for five years. I actually have been on HRT for a year. That's real. Again, unless you have specifically lied to this new friend and said, like, I have eight trans friends. They are all named like Tina, Trina and Brina, then, then you would have to say like, sorry, I made all eight of those people up. But like, if you haven't done that, you have not led them on. You haven't done anything wrong. There, there would be no moment where they would say, whoa, 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 you're you're telling me you didn't watch this gay show that I think everyone should have watched, or like, know this one person I think everyone in this state should know. Like, that's just not something I think that's being asked of you.
1: I totally agree, and I I think that. While you absolutely don't have to share any of this with your new friend and and I agree that you should maybe think about it in a way to try and not try to put too much pressure on them. Um, you ask, is there some way to communicate my isolation and experience without coming across as pathetic and antisocial? I think there absolutely is. I think that you can for me about how you approach the conversation instead of sitting down okay well i have something big to confess or i i have something i really need to tell you i think that it can be smaller than that something like oh you know i actually haven't been to this kind of a, an event before or i you know especially with the pandemic that everybody has been dealing with over the last few years i during the pandemic wasn't able to get out very much or sort of in smaller bite-sized chunks that you can feel like you can share with people, but without turning it into a huge confession of, well, I'm terrible and pathetic and antisocial.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that the thing you can communicate is I've been isolated and lonely. And the thing I think that should be communicated more with like a therapist is I'm unworthy of social connections. I, something is wrong with me because that happened because that is not true. That is like the loop of self-recrimination that has been challenging for you. And so again, that doesn't mean like you can't ever share with a friend that you've been experiencing like self-doubt or self-loathing, just that one of those things is true. And the other thing is like a feeling you're having trouble getting perspective on. But yeah, I would just encourage you to get as much help as you can so that you don't feel like you don't deserve to be around other queer and trans people. Some of us are, like, great. Some of us are weird. So I just also want you to know, like, we're it's not like we're all on this amazing plane of, like, virtue. Like, some of us are really bad housemates, and some of us are really bad landlords, and some of us are just wacky generally. So um, you will not be alone uh, in any of that. And um, I hope that you continue to make more friends who, who react the way this new friend of yours does and who just clearly finds you really, like, enjoyable to be around, really trustworthy, really interesting, um, really compelling because you sound like a really lovely person and you deserve to have a bigger, broader community around you. I absolutely agree. Yeah. I, that's the other thing. Like, I've never gotten a letter where I got to the end of it and I felt like, oh yeah, this person who's been really hard on themselves really should be alone. They really do deserve to feel nothing but shame all the time. I think it's just really hard like when you have that voice in the back of your head to to realize how far off base that is. But it's so easy when you hear from other people. It's just like, again, even I've occasionally heard from someone who I think are like really living off base or have done something really wrong. It's still never my reaction to think you deserve to just be alone in a pit forever. That's just not that's not what anyone needs or should have. If you two have a minute, I have a lightning round question that's very long, but I think deserves a short answer. Are you up for it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. I will not um give away any more of what's to come. I will simply read it. The subject is stuck in time. My partner of three and a half years broke up with me last summer when he fell into a deep depression and felt he couldn't handle the responsibility of being a partner. But things were already rocky. We had started being non-monogamous a year into our relationship, but for me it was more of an intellectual exercise or practice of feminist values than it was a big desire. For him, it was the latter. I'm a cis woman, and he was seeking more queer experiences in particular. The pandemic meant we spent a lot of time not dating other people, but I still really struggled with it whenever he did, and I didn't have much organic desire of my own to date anyone else. Last year, he spent a semester abroad, and we ended up staying non-monogamous in this context, even though I had serious reservations. He wound up dating a cis queer woman, and they spent a lot of time together. She even told him she was in love with him. This. Caused me to feel a lot of sadness and loneliness, especially since he was simultaneously becoming depressed. And while he was definitely still trying to be a loving partner to me, he also told me he couldn't give me the support that I needed. When he came back to our city, I expressed again how hard it had been for me, and we agreed we would take a break from non monogamy to focus on our relationship. Then two weeks later, we broke up. I was devastated. It's now been almost eight months, and while I think I'm otherwise doing okay in terms of processing the breakup and rebuilding my life, sometimes I still think about the situation where he was away and his other partner was with him. It can still send me into a full nervous system activation. I start sweating, my chest tightens, I cry. We're not in touch at the moment, but we will likely meet to reflect on things in the next few months. The thing is, I don't know what I want from him or what would help me to let go of the pain I feel for his being so close with someone else while I was struggling. Do I need him to say that actually that other partner of his didn't matter, that it was just lust and he regrets it? This obviously feels cruel and dismissive towards her, and I doubt it's true. Or do I need him to admit that he was in love with her too, and she did come to matter more than me in our relationship? I'm not sure what to ask for or how to approach letting this go. Does he even have a role to play in this, or do I just need to trust that time will heal this wound? Like I said, I have a short answer for this one. Do you two have any thoughts or a sense of the shortness of the best possible answer?
1: So from my perspective, I don't think it's a great idea to go into it with what you want him to say because you can't control what he's going to say. I don't even know if it's a great idea to meet and reflect if you're still in this kind of pain over the breakup. I think that what maybe be more helpful for you is to talk about it with a therapist or a friend or even just reflect on it by yourself, I, I don't think that you can get what you need from him in terms of healing from that relationship.
0: Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. It sounds like you were really sad about a breakup and you feel this sort of like ambivalent desire to like either meet up with your ex and tell, have him lie to you about how someone else wasn't important to him when you know it's not true or say that he really did love this other person. But I think that the reason that neither of those scenarios feel satisfying to you is the problem is he broke up with you and that made you sad. And that makes a lot of sense because it's really sad when somebody breaks up with you, especially if you love them. But there's no way that he can backdate it or give some sort of like after the fact justification that's going to make it feel good. He broke up with you. That was sad. And I don't think there's anything to be gained from meeting up with him to process Again, because it kind of sounds like reading between the lines, his thing is he'll avoid saying something that he thinks will really hurt your feelings, which makes you feel like the truth is being withheld from you because it is. And I just think there's, is there anything somebody could say that would make them dumping you feel good? And I think if the answer to that is no, which I, I think it's true, I just don't think there's anything that makes a breakup feel incredible. That's not to say that someone just like calling you up to say, welcome to the Dumpsville baby population, you is ideal. But beyond like a certain (laughs) here's the facts, it's just that breakups are sad. You're sad that he broke up with you. And that makes a ton of sense. But he's never going to be able to make you feel better about the fact that he broke up with you because he broke up with you. And man, oh man, I hope in your future relationships, if somebody says, would you like to be non-monogamous with me? And you say, I have no desire to do that, but it seems like a general feminist value I should hold, that you stop and say, I realize I just said something that sounds totally deranged and totally antithetical to my own happiness. What I meant was, no, I wouldn't like to do that. And either we should break up because we're incompatible, or you should say, okay, I can live without that, and I'm happy to compromise, and let's be monogamous. So that's it. You're sad you got dumped because it's sad to get dumped, and you don't like non-monogamy, and it's, there's no kind of relationship arrangement you should ever throw yourself into because you think it reflects your values. Because you know what should be a, a big one of your values? Personal happiness, pursuit of personal happiness. That's like top three value right there. It should at least be neck and neck with feminism, should be my romantic relationship makes me generally happy. Right?
2: Absolutely. Yes. Everything here from this letter writer feels a lot like this letter, or this person keeps making decisions that are hurting them. And I think going and speaking with their ex would be one of those decisions that would continue to hurt Mm -hmm. them. Um, I really hope that they are able to speak with a trusted friend or a therapist or someone they really trust and really start to work on the time that it takes to heal from something that's really sad.
0: Yeah, and that's it. I think that technically qualifies as lightning, Um, although it's like the slowest lightning can be before it it turns into just (laughs) like, I don't know, visible rain. Um, thank you both so much for coming on the show. I hope you really enjoy continuing to be sisters-in-law. It sounds like you're pretty good at it.
1: We are fantastic at it. We, we really it. are. <laughs> and you know, when I married my husband, I I had no idea that the sisters-in-law that I was going to get were going to be this fantastic. It was something I had not even thought to ask for. So Aww. I uh, I definitely consider myself lucky that I got the ones that I did.
0: Well, I'm very, very happy for you both. And I hope that we can get you back on the show, potentially with even more of your in-laws and see see how many members of your extended family we can get on the show before it gets really unwieldy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're a pretty unwieldy bunch. So I, yeah. I think not too many more.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to Slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. And I, again, like, I get it. Like, it's kind of housemates, it's kind of tenants. You share the house. But, like, she is your tenant. And and so I think, don't let your fear of being, like, an evil landlord make you pretend that you're not in the situation that you're in. Because I don't think that's going to help you either. Like, she is your tenant. I don't know how long her lease is for. I, I almost worry that the roommate agreement is... And instead of a lease? I was very nervous about that. (laughs) And if, boy, if that's the case, letter writer, my advice to you is get leases. You can download them online. You can find them like fairly easily based on whatever like your state's sort of like default agreement is. This is not like you don't have to like hire a lawyer and go nuts. But you need to sign leases when people move in. And it needs to be more than just like, everyone shakes hands or like signs a little google doc that says like we promise to do a good job with the dishes to listen to the rest of that conversation join slate plus now at slate.com forward slash mood
2: it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say